Hi friends, I'm Miri, and this is 2AM Talks, a podcast about the art of intentional conversation. Each episode, I bring a friend on to talk to me about just about anything they want. Today, I'm joined by my friend Alex Gabriel, a writer based in London. Alex and I met online years ago through reading each other's writing, and along with some other blogger friends, we launched The Orbit, the website where we now host some of our writing. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Gabriel. Hi, Alex. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to finally have you on here. So you chose baldness as one of your topics. Tell me a bit about why you chose that. Ah, so, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess this goes back to you because you've, you've had a health thing recently that involved you losing your hair, right? And you posted and written a certain amount about that. Yes, um, I went through chemo. Um, I'm all better now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's a work in progress. Glad um, to hear it. I did lose all of my hair, and it's now growing back, but I'm still reflecting on what that experience meant to me. Mm-hmm. So I remember you saying uh, a little while back in one of our, I guess, Facebook chats or somewhere, that um, for you there came a point when like baldness made you feel regal and queen-like. Or, or something along those lines, and uh, it seems to me that like my my baldness, my hair loss, etc., is just it's normal quote unquote male pattern baldness. Although I'm I'm a lot less binary than that, but that's what it's called. Um, but in reality, like the way I experience that now and what it's become for me, like cosmetically and philosophically and otherwise, is way queerer and more complex. So I'm interested in. Like, seeing where those two experiences that we have join up? Yeah. So I'll tell you a bit about kind of what that progression was like for me. Um, so obviously, mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed with cancer, this was at the end of October 2017. Um, as soon as I knew I'd be going through chemo, you know, I knew what that meant. Um, and I didn't, I wouldn't say that I struggled with that as much as I did with many of the other aspects of having breast cancer when you're 26, 27, but I did really, I just, I cherished my hair so much. And part of that was because I had this haircut. It was a very queer haircut where, you know, one side is shaved and and the other is these bouncing curls. and, And it was just how I expressed myself. And I just remember I, after my diagnosis, but, but before I lost the hair, I kept running my hands through it all the time and, and kind of saying goodbye to it. And it was very, it was heartbreaking in a way. Um, then right before I started chemo, I decided to make the transition easier for myself. I went to my hair salon and I had it buzzed short and I had it dyed bright purple. It, it felt like kind of my war paint. Um, and then you know, that that hair had stayed there for a few weeks and then chemo started to take its toll. Mm -hmm. It started to um, recede in in actually a very interesting, almost like male pattern baldness sort of uh, way. Um, First it started to recede. Then it started to to itch and prick me horribly Mm -hmm. because I guess that's what happens when hair falls out. They did not warn me about that. I thought it would just kind of fall. Um, And when I would run my hands through it, you know, pieces would come out gradually more and more. So one night I, I, I was like, fuck this. I, I can't stand this anymore. It's uncomfortable physically and mentally. So I went to the bathroom and I put on an interesting podcast and I 
pulled out as much of it as I could. And it, it wasn't anything like pulling hair out normally because it just came right out. And then mm-hmm. what didn't come out, I shaved off in the shower. And I came out of the shower and, and I dried off with a towel and I looked in the mirror and there I was, you know, without hair. Uh, it was weird. Um, <laughs> but but it, it wasn't, I was expecting, I, I don't know why I expected <laughs> this. I expected it to be like grotesque or, or, you know, one of those horrible like soap opera cancer moments when it's like, oh, what am I? What am I become? I have no hair. Um, it wasn't, it was not like that. It was kind of like, all right, you know, okay, um, this is, this is the new reality. And at first I felt oddly protective of it. Not in the sense that I was insecure about um, my appearance or anything like that. I almost felt like it was this private modest thing that I should keep covered and I've never been religious at least not in that way it, it wasn't coming from a history of that but but I guess and so I wore mm-hmm. um you know at home I usually wore comfortable hats and you know when I went out I would wear you know I had almost 20 wigs by the end of this that I loved wear these different wigs and make outfits with them and when I would go to mm-hmm. bed I would um my partner stays over most nights. I would go to the bathroom when I went to brush my teeth. And that's when I would switch from my wig to my hat. Or I would wait until my partner was in the bathroom. I did not want anyone, not even kind of my most intimate people. Mm-hmm. And I would sleep in these sleep caps. And then over time, you know, I got lazy. The caps would fall off at night. You know, first my partner saw me without hair. Then my little sister was curious what it looked like, and I let her see it, and she was just like, cool. Um, I would chill at home with without anything on my head, and the pizza delivery guy would come see it. So I just started to, to loosen up about that. Um, but the turning point came one night when um, I had gone out to the symphony, and I was dressed up, and I, I had a beautiful wig and beautiful makeup. And I came home, and I was you know, I was feeling good and I took the wig off, you know, in front of the mirror as I usually do. Suddenly it was, it was like the face of of, of a totally new person was looking back at me. I looked like some sort of, I I think one of my friends later said like a space empress. Mm -hmm. It, It was this fantastical science fictional look. I had, um, dark burgundy lipstick and, you know, full face of makeup and, and just no hair. And I like someone who reigns over an empire in space mm. and has no time whatsoever for hair and thinks that she looks amazing as is and everyone bows down to her mm-hmm. hair or no. And it, it was completely transformative. And of course, you know, being a millennial, I captured it in the form of a selfie and <laughs> I put it on Facebook. People were very surprised because they knew how I felt ab- about that privacy mm-hmm. factor. They were very surprised, but they were very positive. Um, it-, it was one of the most affirming things I experienced right. during my treatment. And after that, even though I continued, you know, usually wearing a wig of some sort or, or whatever, um, I never saw myself the same way again after that. And I still don't.
Yeah, that's fabulous. Um, yeah, I should say that wigs are a thing for me as well. I have various ones. I'm currently sewing a long acid green one. And um, one of the things that I love about... Uh, it's one of the things that, like... Yeah. I sort of feel about this. Yeah. I should say, like... Uh, yeah, but... Um, same, actually. But, uh, but different sexes assigned at birth. And I'm kind of... I'm conscious that, uh, although I don't per se identify that way, there's a lot of sort of... There's kind of uh, a lot of um, social norms and like implicit expectations about them is that uh, like there's sort of this idea that I particularly don't like of um, as soon as your hair starts falling out, you just shave it. That's what you have to do Mm. as a man. You have to shave your head and you don't have any feelings about it at all sort of thing. Um, And part of that actually is there's sort of... um, it's kind of a thing that there's a comic figure of like the man who wears a wig. So in England, it's Bruce Forsyth is the famous person, but like Donald Trump as well. It's not actually a wig, <laughs> but kind of the the comic figure of yeah. the man who wears a wig. You can kind of read him, that and, and one should. But um, to me, it's always fun. Head now, um, now that like my hair is shaved now, including face and eyebrows. My hair actually the lashes are the only bit of hair there, and. Um, I love the way that my head can be this kind of amazing genderless blank canvas that I can just put stuff on, including wigs. And I like the idea that with me, I wear wigs and I wear like bright green, neon pink, ridiculous. Um, and I sort of, I'm quite into uh, the idea of wearing them, but wearing them deliberately so they're noticeable and people look at me and go, oh, what's going on there sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I love the symmetry of the face and the head as as a blank canvas onto which Mm -hmm. you know you paint or design something and it it can be something different every day and it doesn't have to be you know just because you identify this way or use these pronouns then that's the hair or makeup or whatever that you're gonna have Mm -hmm. i would also say you mentioned wearing hats as well and um because um like my my hair originally part of it, um there's like i don't feel this as much because we know each other and i know that sort of i wouldn't expect you to be gatekeepy about this but it's strange sort of me talking about just a natural process of hair loss as supposedly <laughs> a dude and it's like and you're talking to somebody who had breast cancer and it's like am yeah. i allowed to have feelings in this conversation <laughs> you know what i mean and I know that the answer is yes, but it's like, but again, it's that thing of you aren't supposed to have feelings about this if you're assigned male at birth and that whole, that whole thing. Um, but my hair started to go when I was 15 and I'm 27 now. Um, so part of that is also like, I'm looking at the Facebook photos of people I was at school with that made fun of me and their hair is just <laughs> starting to recede now. And I'm here going like, I've dealt with all of this. I'm fine now. I'm glamorous, bald egg queen. Look at you being all insecure. Look forward to that. I'm finished now. I'm happy. Ha. Um, but one of the things that I found out, like something that nobody tells you about baldness, actually, and there's a few of those things that I've learned, is um, <laughs> hats. You can wear hats. Like, you can really wear hats. Like, I always wanted to do the hat thing when I had hair, but it never worked. And I'm not, I can't really explain why, but I think, because I had similar hair to yours, like quite curly and quite sort of 
never grew downward. It just went outward. It was that kind of curly hair. And hats on me were just never a thing that quite sat right. It just, yeah, it was odd. Um, now what I've found, because I have the blank canvas thing and I don't have hair, when you get rid of all that stuff, like you can commit more to other accessories. Like I've found that I can wear brighter and louder shirts and stuff and it doesn't look as cartoonish because you've got sort of, you've removed one element so you can add more elsewhere or like bigger glasses or stuff like that. And um, one of the things that I found is I look fucking cool. That's the thing I found out, the whole, it's again, it's like the mythos of the bald man. Everybody thinks bald guys wear hats to cover up their bald heads. No, I love my bald head. It's just hats look fucking awesome on me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I felt, I didn't wear hats as often as I wore wigs, although that had a lot to do with the fact that um, it was winter and if I wore a winter hat outside, I would ha- that would be too hot for inside, mm-hmm. whereas wigs actually provided a very good level of both protection from the elements and also comfort indoors. Um, but yeah, I, d- I definitely had that experience with hats, and I had some interesting ones. Um, I had some ones w- with beautiful designs on them that I wouldn't have really... I, I never would have thought to wear that. And I had a similar issue with to you where it didn't really work with my hair, especially when I had, you know, the side shave and then the swoosh. If I wore a hat, the swooshy part w- would, like, come out, but it would be, like, plastered to my forehead, and, and it was just not it, – it wasn't really cute. Um, but also, mm-hmm. um, the experience of wearing wigs – resolved a lot of my concerns about having very brightly colored hair because I was always curious what would it be like to just have like neon pink or bright purple hair and then I thought oh what if I wanted to wear like a yellow dress that day or you know but with wigs and hats Mm -hmm. you obviously switch it out and it's a canvas and you it's almost like uh, some days I would feel like I was playing The Sims, you know, and I was kind of like playing with their hair and, and makeup and clothing. Um, and, and during those long, mm-hmm. long months of treatment and generally not feeling super great about my body, that was really that was really healthy for me. Um, it was very constructive. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Also, I think like you mentioned having a sort of a strangely ritual feeling about it, uh, which I relate to as well. And also I think, uh, like to me, it has kind of not exactly a religious, but like cultural or some kind of historical dimension to it because like hats are a big thing in Judaism, right? Nobody <laughs> does hats like the Jews. Hats are good for the Jews officially. Um, and like, traditionally there's that thing of sort of covering heads and praying and all of that idea. And it's sort of, putting a hat on has just become like a nice regular part of my day for when I'm going outside or whatever. And it's nice that like, I don't know, it's a very abstract and totally like de-theologized thing, but it's nice to sort of have that as yeah. a thing for me. Also, I was as... going to say, Sorry, I really also like, and this is something I've spoken about in many contexts, I really love the idea of reclaiming ritual from religion. Um Mm-hmm. especially personal ritual. And this is something I actually ended up doing in a much more concrete way as part of my own cancer experience. I can talk about that later. But this idea of like, you don't have to be religious or have any particular kind of faith to have that kind of connection to your head or your hair 
or covering parts of your body or uncovering parts of your body. It doesn't have to be either, you know, there's a commandment that I have to do this or else I'm going to face divine consequences or fuck it, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. All I care about is how it looks, which that, that's also a totally fine approach. I was just interested in something a bit more, I don't know, personally meaningful. Sure, right. I remember your posts about, like, you had a, you had a, I think, a hair removal ritual or yeah. something like that. Um, and th- there was obviously the the day to day ritual aspect of you know putting on the wig and taking off the wig and and so on and so forth. But then I also decided um, to prepare for my double mastectomy, which was in March, which is something I really struggled with on on many many levels as, as you know mm-hmm. in the months leading up to that. I decided to to try to kind of recognize and affirm those feelings together with with you know my my close friends and loved ones as a ritual that I designed um, with the help of my friend um, Rabbi Alex Braver, who is the rabbi at the synagogue I attend. Yes, I attend synagogue, even though I'm non-religious. Um, but that's a topic for another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we designed a ritual that. Um, put together some elements of like traditional Jewish prayer and also some things that I had kind of designed and come up with on my own or incorporated from somewhere else. And the very beginning of the ritual actually was um, a prayer that don't remember the exact words, but it was something like, you know, blessed is, you know, our Lord Adonai who made me in the divine image. Um, And then I took off my headscarf and remained uncovered for the duration (laughs) of the ritual. And that was so fucking cool to me. It was so cool. And Mm -hmm. and it really set the tone for the rest of the thing. Right. That's really, um, yeah, I'm into that. It's strange to me that like, um, I mean, actually, I live in a very queer household and um, my housemate who also... Uh, has the baldness thing going on says I always feel like my most femme when I've just <laughs> wet shaved my head and I have that thing as well particularly actually when I decided like I had two sort of two of those transformative moments for me I never I never sort of planned a big ritual or anything about it like that because again like if you have hair loss in the concept that I have you're just supposed to let it happen and be fine with it um, but sort of two two moments for me that were kind of milestones were the first time I wet shaved rather than just electrically clipping it, because first of all, like, first of all, it's then completely gone. You don't have any stubble and it feels more of a sort of symbolic moment. And also choosing to wet shave rather than clip it is like you move then closer to sort of shaving body hair in a way that's coded as feminine and all of that. Um, and then later when I just on a whim this January shaved off my eyebrows for the first time and looked in the mirror and went, oh, Gender queer lizard, glamour Voldemort. <laughs> hi, I'm here for it. Um, moment. How did so, you yeah, that was uh, come to that decision to shave your eyebrows? Um, well, I mean, part of it for me is, like I said before, that at least for me, when you get rid of hair, suddenly your head becomes something you can experiment with a bit more. And um, here's the thing about shaving eyebrows. Um, <laughs> they grow back. So... Yeah, I just thought, like, for a variety of reasons, like, disability-based and other stuff, um, 
I'm not somebody who's generally normatively employable, and therefore I don't really have to look like it. Um, but I just thought I'll just I'll just shave them off, and we'll see. And if it doesn't work in a month's time, I'll have them again. Um, but it turned out that yeah, I was really into it. Um, also, uh, I'm I was and I'm continuing to learn makeup and like advanced theatrical drag, prosthetic makeup, all of that kind of stuff. And I wanted to be able to draw eyebrows on and do stuff like that and just have like more of a versatile face so i actually i look um hilarious when i shave now because like i use shaving foam like most people but it's not just on my jaw it's on my jaw and then it's on my head and also on my eyebrows so most of me from the neck up is just this white foamy (laughs) moon creature yeah that's a funny image definitely i um you know, what, what you said about the wet shaving and, and kind of what that was like, um, that actually makes me for the first time kind of regret how I went about things. Um, you know, that moment I told you mm-hmm. about when I was finally like, fuck it, like, I can't handle this. I'm going to get rid of all this hair. Um, and mm-hmm. because, I mean, I, I think I needed to do that because I remember as I was making that decision, I was home from work. And I was talking to my mom on the phone and I was crying and I'm like, I know, I I know that it was going to fall out. It's not that I just, I don't know, whatever. Chemo makes you emotional. Um, But I Mm -hmm. needed to take control of what was happening somehow in the same way that I initially buzzed and dyed my hair. Right. So that's why I did that. But I wish I could have been more intentional about it. Um. First of all, I did it with the same razor that I just shave my legs or armpits with or whatever. And and I don't recommend this course of action. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, Why I, is I that? I don't recommend that. It, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, that's just, not a thing for me. Was it just that I it was blunt? I don't think that it or... was blunt. I think... Well, maybe I should have gotten a fresh razor for it, actually. Um, because it was totally uh-huh. fine for what I'd been using it for. But for this, especially considering that mm-hmm. my head was already kind of tender, um, and I couldn't see what I was doing, mm. and heads obviously have ridges and bumps and things. Um, it's not that it, like, hurt or anything, and I didn't nick myself. It, it just was, I would say, a pretty uncomfortable experience all around. Um but more to the point, I was trying to get it over with. I wasn't trying to have any kind of experience. I wasn't trying to have any kind of ritual in the way that I ritualized, you know, the days leading up to losing my breasts, right? And and now I really kind of mm-hmm. wish that I had thought ahead of time, like, how do I want to do this? And what does it mean to me? And how do I kind of honor that? But, you know, of course, I wasn't in the best frame of mind for thinking of things in that way. And it's okay. It is what it is. But that would have been really special. Yeah, I get that. It took me a while to get there as well. Like, I um, I originally tried to do the, to just electronically buzz it off and then feel fine about it kind of thing. And I, I will say that I was never sort of traumatic about it or anything like that. There is still... There's a layer actually of just of sadness about it, which is that uh, even when I had like a normal amount of hair, but it was starting to go kind of thing. Um, I, I'm just sort of conscious that I'm 27 
turned 27 recently, which is that's the start of the end of your 20s, right? You're not a young, young yeah. person anymore at 27. And like it's late 20s, all of that. And I'm conscious that uh, I kind of went through most of that time not ever being or looking or feeling uh, like conventionally attractive in a way that in particularly in notionally quote-unquote gay male culture is like expected. I never had that young and beautiful phase. And um, so to the extent that my appearance is something I put time into and feel good about, it's always slightly alternative now. Uh, and it's, it's very that. Um, yeah, but I... So a couple of years ago, it was like late 2015, when I first just got rid of my hair entirely. Um, I just tried to sort of buzz it off and then live like that and not have any kind of investment in it or really be intentional about it. Um, which for a while actually is quite difficult because apart from anything else, um, if you're just doing it electronically and shaving your head isn't a normal part of shaving, then uh, like you've got to do it every couple of weeks and it's grown back significantly by the time you buzz it off again. So that was a bit of a chore. And um, for a while I just decided just let it grow back um, and just live with it. One thing I actually had for a while was um, there's stuff that you can use, which is sort of like... Uh, like hair powder that's a bit mascara so if you've got thin hair, it will just uh, give it a bit more volume and make it look more there, which I wore for a while, and I had normal-looking hair, and that was quite cool. Um, it's one of those things, actually, I really... Um, one of the things I really, like, resent the cult of uh, enforced, unemotional male baldness about is um, the fact that, actually, if you're a dude and your hair starts to go, there's a load of different things you can do with it. You can, uh, you can buzz it off immediately if that's your thing, or you can just like keep it short and just let it do its thing, or you can like wear it however and let it go. Or like also, it's worth saying that um, you were talking about the fact that your hair receded when you started chemo and it did the yes. supposedly male thing. I actually have what I consider to be the worst kind of pattern baldness, which is people don't necessarily know that that there are different types. But for some people, you've got hair that recedes, like it starts at the corner of the brow and it goes back. Uh, and eventually you get a receding hairline. Not what I had. Um, and I didn't have the bald spot, the back thing either. Um, what I've always had is diffuse thinning, which is where across uh, the top of your head, your hair is thin and it gets thinner everywhere, which I think of as being like, it's the worst thing you can have because there's no stylish way of wearing that. Like if you've got a receding hairline, like you can have like a widow's peak and that can look cool. Like there's... You know, there's famous people I can think of who've had that look, and it's fine. If it's going at the back, you just keep it short everywhere and you grow like a pompadour. It's awesome. There's ways to style that. There's really nothing you can do if it's just falling out everywhere. And so, yeah, I was just kind of left with the option of having it look a bit rubbish or nothing at all. But, um, yeah, I'm totally pro, like, people in general, but particularly uh, assigned male at birth and cis men and variations of that, um, should just do what they feel like with her and not be yeah, shamed about it. I can get behind that 100%. So tell me, you know, you mentioned a few times this um, this kind of cultural, I guess, idea that, that um, men or people assigned male at birth um, have to just not care about their hair loss. What was that mm -hmm. kind of journey like for you? So I'm guessing at the very beginning of it, you probably definitely did care. Um, I mean, I, yeah, when I had her, I was always self-conscious about, and a lot of my old selfies and stuff, I would, like, 
darken in that particular area near the front so there was a bit more shadow and the thinness of it wasn't as i was very that i was very sort of self-conscious and all of that which it was never it was never particularly like a massive trauma in my life kind of thing i think a lot of the feelings that i have about it are ones that i'm only processing now now that i'm actually making time to think and feel about my now lack of hair but um yeah i mean it started to go when i was uh 15 in the middle of my teens and people did not hesitate to point that out um which was not particularly nice so yeah there's a lot of um i mean it's particularly true of my hair because in other ways like there's a lot of ways that hair is way more sort of political and culturally loaded than we think it is like religion is something we've talked about but also like i always had sort of i had jewish hair as well i had the whole curly thing going on but also um, I had autistic hair as well and I never liked having it cut as a child and therefore never really worked out what to do with it. And um, one of the things that is really nice about not having hair anymore is that um, I could never really get my hair to, I never knew how to style it, what to do with it, how to make it look the way I wanted. It was always a very fractious relationship. Um, and now I just like, that's not even there anymore. It's also really nice in summer um, because I keep coming inside on hot days and just going, imagine how horrible this would be. Remember that? Um, but so, yeah, like there's a lot of ways in which I've kind of had reason to feel forever that I didn't really own my body or I wasn't in charge of it, or it was something that was narrated by somebody else in whatever way. And um, yeah, being a bald genderqueer egg alien now is um, my well, favorite and thing. And you know, um, like you said, I have no gatekeepery feelings about this or else I wouldn't have even done this episode and I really wanted to do this mm-hmm. episode but w- what you pointed out about getting made fun of you know for something like that that obviously completely out of your control and sadly happens to many people about lots of aspects of their bodies or situations um the thing is is that when you're going through cancer treatment nobody can say anything negative to you <laughs> Um, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that happens to people who are less fortunate than I am in terms of having, you know, supportive people in my life, mm-hmm. but everyone was so affirming, no matter what I did with it, you know, when I buzzed it and dyed it and when I got rid of it entirely and all the wigs that I wore and when I went bald and when I did scarves and when I did hats and obviously w- what I was going through was awful and losing my hair was, you know, by no means the most difficult part of that, but it was a thing that I had to cope with. But I had all this outpouring of support. And compare that to someone like you, um, you know, a male assigned at birth person who starts losing their hair very early on, or any person who starts, you know, having thinning hair with age or going bald, being expected to either, you know, well, it's just aging, it's, you're a dude, why do you care? Um, that kind of invalidation probably makes things a lot harder to cope with. Mm, yeah, right. And and the fact that the sort of the normalized way of responding to that is to have uh, is not even to say like you're not supposed to say no. I have feelings about that. Please don't talk about it that way. It's just to disengage emotionally from the entire process. And it's actually it strikes me that. Um, you probably know way more about this than I do, but to me, in my head, one of the things that I always think of abusive partners as doing is uh, 
impressing on people and especially women the idea that they shouldn't or are not allowed to care about how they look like the whole yes. don't wear so much makeup thing that kind of idea and it strikes me that culturally that's sort of what we're told uh, about if you're a dude or, or something along those lines and hair loss is a thing for you then not only like are you supposed to not care about it but you're supposed to like be fine with people joking about it and like and not care about other people caring about it and it's just so i guess there's there's a lot of feelings there that have um that i'm only kind of becoming aware of retroactively now i will say the flip side of that is that um getting rid of my hair first wet shaving and then losing the eyebrows and everything else um gave me loads of sort of gender feels and queer kind of um affirmation and it's definitely become the case that like uh if you're somebody in that situation you google stuff because you're interested there's a load of sort of media stuff about uh so you were a bald guy look at these famous bald men and sort of bruce willis and all those people look how cool they look but actually my thing is uh, all my bald role models are femmes and women and people like that like there's a type of uh in cinema there's a particular sort of trope of the bald woman who's evil and um that's definitely in Ooh, there as well i want to go back to that in a moment because i definitely have thoughts on that uh, but another thing i have thoughts on mm-hmm. that you were just saying is that i hate that our culture does this that appearance is so important and it impacts so much of how you move through the world and yet we're supposed to not care about it but like Mm -hmm. i just want to be like you need to pick one okay either appearance can be super important and and impact everything about how we live and we acknowledge that and we celebrate each other's efforts to improve our appearance and care about our appearance or um, appearance does not impact how we move through the world, and we don't have to care about it, right? Because, because it's so hypocritical, um, and and you see that in everything. Mm-hmm. For instance, when they do those polls, when they ask men, first of all, I, I mean, I hate this whole idea of like polling cisgender hetero men about their opinions of women's appearance, because like who the who like who the fuck asked? I don't care. But they do this, and they'll mm-hmm. ask them like what kind of a look do you prefer on women? Like, no makeup or, like, natural look or, like, full face of makeup and they'll be like, oh, I don't like any makeup. I like it natural. And then you have them pick photos of, of, of like, women's faces that they like and they pick and all your foundation, Mm -hmm. blush, mascara, eyeshadow, eyeliner, lip liner. That's what they think natural looks like. And those same men mm-hmm. are going to do anything when their girlfriend is like, wait a minute, I need a few minutes to finish my makeup. And they're like, what are you talking about, babe? You look good without makeup. She wears that shit every day. And that's what you fucking prefer. Mm-hmm. <gasps> anyway. <laughs> so I'm angry about that. And, and I'm right. also angry about this idea that, like, the only reason one could possibly have for caring about their appearance is because they're shallow or you know, whatever, which first of all, like, if you just like to look good and, and you like people to like how you look, that's fine. We're social creatures. We like affirmation. That's okay. But more to the point, when you do your looks or I do my looks, that's not primarily about, oh, I want people to think I'm pretty. You know, it is expression, especially for a queer person, a non-binary person to express 
their gender and all the feelings that go along with that through their hair, makeup, fashion choices, whatever. It is like a canvas. It's creating a, a work of art. And I mean, of course, when I say that, I'm like, uh, my makeup skills aren't really work of art worthy. But still, that's the point. <sighs> yeah, right. I get it. Um, I'm interested. In, like, first of all, as far as makeup, um, you, you have her again now, yes, right? It's, it's short, been but growing it's back. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this looked like when you did not have hair. Um, but for me, as far as makeup, one of the things that I love is when I'm. I don't normally wear sort of everyday cosmetic makeup from the sort of makeup counter at the pharmacy. The makeup I wear is generally like full-on professional theatrical stuff. But um, when I'm doing all of that, I really like the whatever base layer you're doing. My foundation keeps carrying on up my forehead and then all over my head and then when the contour arrives i contour my skull which i feel is particularly kind of hardcore <laughs> yes on some level yeah um yeah so like i don't i'm not sure i've posted before and i think you liked it um if i said the name sasha Valor, is that a person no. that you recognize Oh, okay. So, uh, drag queen from New York um, won Drag Race a couple of years ago and is probably the only person associated with that show who I'm just really into, to the point that I don't care about anybody else. But um, uh, yeah, New York drag queen now travels around the world a lot and is very uh, sort of rather intellectual and the child of two college professors as well and um, known for being bald and doing that in the full kind of made-up feminist as well and very much like a I'm interested in your sort of bald role models but that's definitely one of mine and a big part of um, that process of finding like a queer version of baldness but um, one of the things that she's talked about in interviews actually is that um, around the time that Sasha started doing drag uh, her mum died of cancer and I think specifically breast cancer and part of the reason that she's a bald queen is uh, because they had conversations about what was that process going to be and encouraged her mum to just sort of embrace the glamorous aspect of baldness and therefore now is kind of is permanently a bald queen in um, in homage to that and as a celebration of that so interesting that there's a person who sort of embodies both of those experiences of baldness that we have both cancer and male pattern but um yeah like that's that's one of the people um as well as various film characters and things um that i've kind of i've definitely got a sort of personal canon of feminine baldness that i like to dig into somewhat. yeah so bringing it back to that topic um of course the first thing that comes to mind right now is black panther um because mm -hmm. that to me is and and um I'm hoping that everyone who's listening has watched Black Panther. And if not, um, pause this podcast and go do that immediately because it, it needs to be done. Um, but um, in the, in the, in the movie, um, the Dora Milaje, the women who protect the Black Panther and, and kind of, you know, protect Wakanda, um, they are bald and they are absolute consummate badasses. Um, and that they are not, you know, mm -hmm. so sure that there is a butch, a butchiness about that, right? I mean, they're literally warriors and, and you know, um, probably all queer as fuck. And if not, then 
then I disagree with that. But, <laughs> but the, I mean, there is a femininity mm-hmm. to them. Um, they they show vulnerability and they dress up at points in the movie. At, at least Okoye does. I don't know about the rest of them. Uh, and that is actually mm-hmm. when I love her look the most. Is when she's kind of undercover and she's where I don't I don't remember right now the gown that she wore, but but it was a fancy you know evening dress. And she wore mm-hmm. a wig, but to, to fit in, I guess. But at one point, she takes it off and, and she says something like, "You know, she's so happy to be rid of it." And oh, it looks so good! Oh, that gives me mm-hmm. all of like the queer feels. Yes. So can I jump in here? Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, I I had a lot of sort of drag and other feelings about that scene. The moment when she says, "Look at me. Do I have to keep wearing this ridiculous thing?" is when she first turns <laughs> up wearing the wig. Um, she takes it off as a combat move and throws it at somebody. Right, that makes it even better. <laughs> yeah, but also uh, as far as the gown, like I remember seeing this. The the actual uh, is it yeah, draw melange? So. Am I saying that right? Um, the actual costumes that they wear, the uniforms, etc., are based on. Uh, I think it's an amalgam of sort of various Pan African influences, uh, but particular one. Uh, I can't. Uh, I can't bring the name of the tribe to mind, but one particular African uh, element, um, and I really appreciated that when she, when they go to the casino, her dress that she wears is the same color. It's bright red, and it feels like it's kind of a translation of what she would normally wear into that uh, context. And I'm really interested in the idea of, like, she's theoretically she's going from quite butch to quite femme, supposedly. But I'm interested in the that as a costume choice and an aesthetic choice almost seems to pose the question of like exactly where is the switch there and, and invites one to think a bit more uh, questioningly about the way that those particular roles and aesthetics are constructed. So I was really into that. And also just uh, her on a car bearing down on somebody on top of a car with a spear in hand also yes, was yes. fabulous. And I think what I appreciated most of all i think about that the aesthetic aspects of that scene is that while the wig was definitely you know both practically and symbolically just unneeded there um she seemed as Mm -hmm. as comfortable and at ease in in the dress really as she does in her normal uniform and i like that on a number of levels because First of all, it again, it jumps the butch femme barrier, you know, just because you normally dress butch doesn't mean that you can't fucking, you know, rock a femme outfit. But also, um, it, it reflected the fact that, like, she, you know, warriors can, can come in, in many ways, in, in many forms. Um, you don't have to look traditionally masculine to do it. I don't know enough about, like, the Wakanda mythology to know why they're bald maybe you know that um it might be to do with with aesthetics it might be to do with practicality but regardless you can still kind of do both and in fact i wouldn't even call it doing both i would call it being her sometimes she wears a fucking warrior uniform and carries a spear and sometimes she wears an evening gown and carries a spear and rides on top of a car and throws it yeah, right. Um, it's it was on the tip of my tongue. It's come back. It is the Maasai, I believe. Who, I think I'm. Uh, I think that's why who are the Africans that that particular 
because the whole Wakandan aesthetic, they're sort of drawing from everywhere, but the, the Dora Milaje in particular are yeah. sort of Maasai looking. Um, and I guess the, I mean, to take that whole sort of discussion, maybe a stage further, potentially part of that might be, I mean, one thing to think about in that context is binaries of masculine and feminine as a European mm-hmm. thing. And if you're not only African, but from, in this context, the African country that was never colonized, of course she does not observe that binary. And I think, you know, I'm not obviously um, knowledgeable enough in African history to be able to say for sure, but that, based on what I know, sounds pretty true to me, that um, white Westerners very much imported some of that into Africa. and into many parts of the world i mean just think of the fact that um there are many cultures in which um um men or masculine people wear items of clothing that you know westerners would call skirts or dresses and Mm -hmm. to my knowledge the only white western exception to that is the kilt but in many other places it's it's not necessarily that that you know just because you're a man or masculine that you have to wear garments that that wrap around each of your legs you know mhm yeah sure um yeah i mean i only uh, i'm only able to discuss all of that about black panther in detail cuz i uh i was really i very specifically geeked out about the costume design and stuff so i read a load of interviews with the people behind it yeah i mean I'm, as far as wider african cultural history i don't i don't have that knowledge so major disclaimer there but um i'm gonna also for me um maybe this is like a generational thing but um the borg queen from star trek is a big person that i sort of go to as far as bald femme particularly with yes. an evil dimension to it and the other um figure i was thinking of was staying within the realm of marvel and science fiction more broadly i guess is um mm-hmm. doctor strange um the ancient one is, is mm. and mm-hmm. that of course i have my issues with because uh, many people say that that was sure. um the casting there was whitewashed um and that should have been um an east asian woman on the other hand i had also heard that the reason they specifically did not want to do that was to avoid playing into the stereotype of like the old wise Asian lady. Um, so I don't really know. Um, I don't, I don't know what my thoughts on that really are, but I will say that the choice to have her be bald was very cool. Um, it very much mm-hmm. felt not that, 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 that she was an alien or anything like that, but, but that she was some sort of mystical being who kind of transcended you know, our normal ideas of what bodies can do and mortality and all of that. Yeah, no, I was into it. And of course, yeah, I mean, apart from apart from any of the stuff about the casting there, um, I mean, Tilda Swinton in particular is somebody who has, I think, talked explicitly about being an actor who works within a queer aesthetic. And is and has that fandom going on, or did prior to that career move anyway? So, um, yeah, no, very into that. I don't know if you ever saw the, um, I think nineteen eighty four, the uh, the David Lynch film adaptation no, of Dune. No, I did not. One of those cult like there are, it's it's kind of historically known as a bad film that has a bit of a cult following, and it's 
there are some aspects of it that are really, really quiffobic. Like there's a villain who essentially has AIDS, um, but it also has um, within that world, there's a kind of slightly sinister group of what are essentially nuns called the Bene Gesserit. And in that adaptation, they are all bald and wear sort of long habits kind of thing and have uh, thimbles that have spikes on them and their fingers. And it's very, yeah, I've got a kind of weird, not even steampunk, but some kind of, like draggy queer that's part of my list of influences as well i'm i'm gonna go take a look at that Mm -hmm. does anything else come up for you in terms of interesting representations of baldness in film or in art I would. I did want. Well, I will say actually, not not actually within not Marvel Studios, but um, I don't know if you saw not Logan, which is the more recent one, but um, one of the solo Wolverine films a couple of years ago, like uh, the one that's set in Japan from 2013. It has a villainess, and I specifically say villainess because I think that's what's going on there. Who is a sort of evil chemist mutant who produces a lot of toxins and has a mutation that makes her vipery and all of that and eventually sheds her skin but she eventually ends up being bald because throughout the film she gradually becomes more and more lesbian as her evilness is uh, made clear which on the one hand I understand is very problematic and not cool but also it's so over the top that i was really into it in the way that like i sometimes am aesthetically into very over the top problematic stuff because maybe that's just my thing about having a thing about (laughs) evil women but yeah i'm wondering actually is there is there like an evil disney queen who's that's or anything in that think about Uh, and now actually i wonder so i mean it's it's a well-established thing that that um villains are often queer coded but i wonder if the female (laughs) or femme baldness thing is just a part of that or if there's a separate dimension along which we are suspicious or maybe afraid of feminine people or people that we think ought to be feminine who are bald especially by choice what do you think Yeah, I mean it's um I mean it's worth saying also like on on TV tropes there's a specific uh, page called Bald of Evil that is like Walter White from Breaking Bad and Lex Luthor and people and that mainly is to do with men but I guess there are female examples so it's maybe it's worth sort of adding to that whole context that there's a baldness coded as evil thing that is not specific to women and but having said that I don't think that that invalidates the way that bald women are portrayed in that way quite often um and i yeah i mean i guess part of it is that uh there's also a thing of kind of quote-unquote evil women being sort of masculine in some way or masculine coded like large shoulder pads and all of that kind of thing and trouser suits and that sort of yeah, that whole that whole imagery of evil women or, in parts of pop culture. In some um, cases, I... over the top feminine. For instance, Corella Deville. But yeah, it, mm, it, mm-hmm. it really is either of those extremes. You don't see a villainess who looks like the girl next door unless it's a much newer work that that's trying to subvert that whole concept. 
Mm, right. And often it occurs to me that often, I mean, I'm thinking of Ursula from The Little Mermaid, who was based on Divine. They've talked about that. And um, and the actress who was playing her lowered her voice so that she could do it. But um, often it strikes me that um, not only is, is it over the top femininity that you get with those characters, but they actually are drag queens on some level like and interesting to note divine specifically was a queen who had receding hair and like drew his eyebrows massively because there was so much bald head to work with um but yeah i guess i guess whether it's massive femme hair or it's baldness or whatever there's something about that trope of I want to say drag, but I mean just in the context of there's something about characters whose gender presentation is deliberate and intentional and cognizant oh. that is that is there. And I, um, in the way that I think, I think queer people are are always kind of we grow up feeling that we always are going to be intentional about how we look and behave. Although it's also being autistic is part of that for well for me as well. Like I think there's a certain sort of thinking about clothes as costume that comes into that. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's definitely part of it with those particular types of evil characters. On the other hand, they are designed to yes. be fabulous at the same time as, as they're evil, I think. Like Cruella is a villain, yeah. but it's her film. Do you even remember I who the good guys I'm were so in that film? I remember that there were a lot of dogs, um, but I, I don't even know what anyone else looked like. <laughs> Yeah, no. Oh, also, also, as far as uh, like famous ones and inspirations, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie adaptation of The Witches by Roald Dahl, but the Grand High Witch, who is in that, is a massive point of, yeah. of influence for me. Still. And she's played by Angelica Houston, I think. Who, was she in the Adams Family or something? But she walks in and poses like RuPaul. Like she does the arm like, of a drag queen uh, kind of moment there. And then eventually the hair comes off because she's a witch and they're all bald. You know, and, sometimes it occurs oh, so to me that if, if drag and an associated culture had never existed, where the fuck would anyone get their ideas for films or music videos or like any of that? Like, they really kind of owe us queers mm -hmm. and especially queers of color for that. Yeah, no, totally. Um, which I guess... I mean, which comes back to, I'm thinking about drag and I'm thinking about in the United States, Southern pageantry drag, and I'm thinking about drag balls in Harlem historically. And I guess that kind of goes back to that whole uh, gender binary is colonialism thing. So yeah, I'm always very conscious that, um, yeah, people of color and specifically African-Americans are like, that is the, part of society that a lot of my influences have been filtered through at some point and but it's so long ago and so deep running that it's yeah. easy to not think about and and also so much that it's not obviously sort of culturally appropriate sort of thing because it's there's so much in there that it's hard to know where like yeah yeah where... like where is the drag that I'm aware of is has historically come through places like Harlem, but is also has traveled a lot since then as well. So it's hard to pin down what my relationship with that should be, except to be sort of yeah, aware of I it. Yeah, I think, you know, as a, as a white person, I, of course, 
can't speak to what is appropriate not I don't but I will say that what's important to me is well first of all obviously listening um and and second knowing to the best of my ability where things come from right so some of these badass representations of, of baldness that we're talking about you know they're coming from you know like you said maybe Harlem drag culture maybe Maasai warriors um any number of things and I always want to know I always want to know who the fuck came up with this awesome thing so I can thank them for it yeah right and I mean also at the same time particularly sort of characters like Divine and Ursula there's a there's also like a more sort of slightly more conservative in some ways like a tradition of theatrical drag and kind of in England one would talk about pantomime dames I know that's not necessarily international but there's there's layers to that too and it's all very a lot of those categories have got blurred so yeah I guess one thing that's helpful to think about for me anyway is that like playing with and sending up and being critical of binary gender is not culturally specific or if it is it's like it's not uh yeah, like you're critiquing thing a thing that comes from my own end of the world. So there's that to it. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely. Um, well, yeah, yeah. This is this is the place that I end up as a result think, of hair loss eventually. I think <laughs> conversation. I think it's important to point out with that too that all cultures have their own, you know, oppressions and hegemony within them, and they have their own you know, individuals and subcultures who are challenging those dominant ideas, whether that's binary gender or something else. I think that's something that we sometimes overlook too when looking at cultures that are marginalized and that we are not a part of. Right. Sure. Wow. That uh, that conversation traveled. (laughs) Wow. Um, Which I think just goes to show how much deeper this topic goes than just a matter of aesthetics. Although, do you love me some aesthetics? Mm-hmm. So, a- as we wrap up, is there anything that you would want to leave folks with? Any thoughts, any media recommendations, any questions for them to ponder? Well, I... Oh, gosh. I'll probably... We'll probably hang up in a couple of minutes, and then I'll <laughs> think of, like, And 20. we'll add them to the episode um, notes, so it's fine. Yeah, cool. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's. it's probably worth saying that there have likely been a load of really good pieces and stuff written about this by people who are not me. Um, but So yeah, Google stuff, I suppose, is my message. But um, one thing that I will, I will just sort of add on top of all of this, because I was thinking about this earlier, your hair has started to grow back now and mine is, like, that is not the trajectory that mine is going to take. It's eventually going to just keep going in the direction it's been going which is away um but one experience that that i've had about that is that um you can actually there is um if you are beginning to experience hair loss and quote-unquote male hair loss there are ways of dealing with that actually medically like there are there are tablets you can take and there's cream for your scalp and they do actually work quite a lot of the time you can halt hair loss and stuff like that and eventually there's sort of transplants and stuff like that that you can have which i have thought about right because one does even if you eventually do what i did Mm. and decide that you love being a bald queen um 
And here's where I've ended up with that. And I'm, I'm interested in how this sort of uh, sits alongside your experience. But um, my hair is eventually going to do the thing where all the hair on top has gone. And I have that ring that goes like by the ears and then round the back that bald people sometimes have. Um, and when, once that happens, like it's basically stopped falling out is the, the science of that as I understand it. Like it may still go a little bit, but that's when it's stabilized. That is when I am interested in having a hair transplant. And here's what my thinking is about that. Cause I think a lot of those sort of surgeries and reverse your hair loss and all of that, I think of it as very straight, like straight men in their forties who want to look younger. And it's a little bit, I say a little bit midlife crisis and I don't want to sort of fall back into that kind of shaming men for having feelings about hair loss and all of that kind of thing. But the, the marketing of all of that kind of stuff is very like look young and virile and the women will fall off. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm not here for that. So here is my plan, right? When I'm old enough and I'm like 40, 50 and that's all happened. I want to go to a surgeon who does that kind of stuff when I can afford it eventually and say, can you just take the hair from the back of my head and the sides? And can you just put it in the middle, please? Just so that I have a naturally growing mohawk. I think that oh, would be fabulous. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like the, the one 70 year old in the nursing home one day who just has that. It just happens. I don't even have to shave my head anymore at the sides. My hair just naturally grows that way. But it's, I think that also it's, it's part of my thing of trying to resist the sort of, uh, like normative culture of baldness and sort of instead of trying to kind of reverse the falling out process and go back to who I was when I was younger I like the idea that I'll one day do that and it can be like a continuation of hair loss and I'll be morphing into some new version of me instead um, so that's like that's sort of my queer understanding of that that is hopefully. fantastic yeah. and I can't wait to see it someday uh I think what I'm off is that even though I'm growing my hair back now and kind of thinking about what I'm going to do with it, um, I think that the transformative nature uh, of my baldness and, and of that experience is something that's going to stay with me because when I first started out, right, I, I was, you know, heartbroken to lose my hair because it was such a marker of queer identity for me and, and, and other things. It's pretty, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, but I didn't, I did not think that there would be anything queer or beautiful or particularly notable about having no hair, right? And that first moment, that, that night in the mirror that, that I saw myself as, as this, you know, queer space queen, like, that will always be with me. And what that says to me is that you can queer really just about anything, Um in various ways mm -hmm. you can take it back you can appropriate it in the positive sense you can create something out of it and i may never be bald again or i might or i might have some totally different going on i mean i lost my breasts that was a, a whole thing for another episode um and mm -hmm. and i i feel this is like corny as fuck but i real i feel like really inspired to like make everything queer yeah right i'm really into that and actually so here's on that note if that's your signing off message here's my actual signing off message um people who are sort of not losing their hair over time the way i have or don't have medical stuff going on or whatever uh if it's that i know a lot of people kind of think about it vaguely if you're somebody who is listening to this and you've sort of maybe thought about that idea even if you haven't 
uh, try it. Shave your head. I think everybody should do it at some stage, even if it's like you can do it in the school holidays or whatever. Uh, you know, if you've got a break between stuff in your life. But um, it's a massive, like, if your hair is going to grow back, you may as well, like, while you've got that going on, lucky you. But um, I have taken so much from this, and um, my baldness is now such a part of me that I love and have nurtured and that has taught me so much. And I think it's one of those things I think everybody who can reasonably try it should, because it teaches you so much. And I've loved this whole conversation. So much for coming on Me here too. and sharing your experiences. I've I've learned a lot. I'm excited to go and watch some of these movies and things that you've recommended. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All awesome. Right. I look forward Thank to so hearing much, about Alex. it. Have a good day. Bye. And you. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of 2 AM Talks. If you'd like to subscribe, you can find it on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and other platforms. You can also follow the show on Twitter at 2AM Talks Podcast. Thank you for listening.